Hey, welcome to the New Life Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us. New Life is one family, many churches, and we're located in Brisbane, Coolangatta, Moreton Bay, and Rabina. And we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. I'm excited you're joining us because we are in our vision series. And at New Life, Vision Sunday is not about what we're launching, but rather being reminded of who Jesus has called us to be. Over the next two weeks, we will look at what we believe are four key discipleship priorities that are central to what it means to see more people more like Jesus. When this happens, we believe God will usher in renewal in Australia as we outwork His plan and heart for our church. Welcome to Vision Sunday and enjoy the podcast. Thirty years ago, a small group of people gathered in what was nothing but farmland at a place called Rabina on the Gold Coast with a dream, a God dream to see a community that was Christ-focused, Spirit-led, Scripture-fed and obedient to the Word of God that they might see transformation in their community. Thirty years later, that small group has become something else. And some of those small groups are still with us today. Kathy Hartwig, Grant Dempsey, Agnes Miller and many others. And that small group saw God over the last 30 years do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. It's been 30 years since that first service this year. 30 years of baptism, 30 years of mission, 30 years of prayer, 30 years of serving the lost, the last and the least, 30 years of seeing the lost come home and know they are loved, 30 years of God doing far more than we ever could have believed in those first days. But 30 years later, New Life is no longer just a geographic location in Rabina. It has become a movement, a movement of churches across Southeast Queensland that share the same strategy, vision, mission, and beliefs. A movement that is passionate about the lost being found, that is passionate about every name having a story and every story mattering to God, that is passionately believing God is not finished with Australia yet, that through repentance and renewal, we can see a mighty move in and through the Uniting Church, a movement that still exists to see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. But here's the trap. Here on these Vision Sundays, we can believe that a Vision Sunday is about a new idea or a new program. Now here's my conviction. I don't believe that the vision or mission of God has changed or shifted. Some Vision Sundays, in fact, four years ago, we, we did announce that we'd become a church planting movement, believing that every region across Australia would have a new life church. And four years later, we have New York, Brisbane, Rabina, Coolangatta, and Morton. God is doing far more than we could ever have hoped. But this Vision Sunday, we believe that the call of God is not to reimagine the mission and vision of God, but to return to it. See, the church of God doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, Therefore go into all the world, making disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This heart for Jesus' church, for Jesus' disciples, hasn't shifted and is still the heart that drives new life today. So the question we've got to ask is, what does it mean for us to be disciples who make disciples, to see more people more like Jesus? Well, this isn't a new idea. Vision Sunday is this realignment, recapturing of the vision and heart of God. And we believe that we need to consistently be reminded of four things that it means to be a disciple. Four things that it means to become more like Jesus. That these four things that we will all be passionate about will be gathering the lost, growing in community, growing as a disciple, and going on mission. Friends, these are not just 
pithy statements that I value, or that you might value, but that we prioritize, believing that as we do these four things, gathering, gluing, growing, and going, we'll become more like Jesus. And dare to believe that over these two Vision Sundays, we will increase in our fervency and desire for discipleship, that we might see a move of God in our time, that we might see more people, more like Jesus. New life, welcome to Vision Sunday. Well, friends, it's good to be with you today. My name is Michael. Uh, you might remember me from such things as the video you just watched. Uh, and I get the privilege of being the lead minister here at New Life and a massive welcome to our family joining us online as well. Hey, uh, I thought the praise and worship today was superb. I thought there's not just the praise and worship team, but there's something that happens when the people of God sing loudly over one another. Thank you so much for rocking up to bless and worship God together today. We have a moment every uh, Thursday Thursday night of the month where we meet in the Kids Life Hall for prayer and worship. If you want to join us this Thursday night, 7pm, we'd love to have you there. Hey, on that note, would you stand to your feet as we read the Word of God for today? We're reading today from John chapter 1, verse 35. It reads this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing, everyone say first thing, Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, He truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than these, than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we say this is the Word of the Lord, the collective response is, thanks be to God. Let's try that again. This is the Word of the Lord. Hey, let's pray together. Gracious God, whether we join you online or in the room today, my prayer, Lord Jesus, is that you would be glorified. Father, Son and Spirit, would you be known in this place? We thank you for your Word that never returns void. And that we would be shaped and formed in community today for the good of the world and the glory of God. Less of me, more of you. In Jesus' Name and all God's people said, Amen. You can grab yourself a seat. 
Friends, it's very, uh, it's one of my favourite Sundays, Vision Sunday in the life of the church. It's my privilege over this next two weeks to be sharing with you what we believe God has laid on our hearts and is important and central to His mission outworked through new life. When I approach these Sundays, I'm reminded of Apple, actually. Apple, the company, not the fruit. Every year in September, since 2007, Apple does a big media launch. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Does anyone remember the first iPhone? Anyone remember the first iPhone? Three of us. Who here still doesn't know what an iPhone is? That's okay. It's, uh, it's okay to be honest. We had a lot more people in the first service say that. But in September, uh, they do this launch every year as Apple. And Apple will hop on the stage. The CEO, Steve Jobs at the start, and now Tim Cook, hops up. And he walks out as a black screen, black stage, Steve Jobs wearing his black turtleneck, into a room filled with thousands of tech geeks and journalists. They will announce what Apple is launching for the new year, which is a really exciting moment. But what's interesting is that every year they announce a new iPhone as if it was the first iPhone that had ever been released. Every year, Apple like makes its last product obsolete by telling you how good its new product is. And it's it's an interesting moment. They'll hop up on platform and their CEO will say, we've realised that people don't need a power button. So we've removed it it for your customer satisfaction. And people are like, I never needed a power button. This is amazing. Apple read my mind. The next year, Apple will come back and be like, we've realised that people need a power button. So we've put it back on and it's for your satisfaction. Be like, I need a power button. Oh my gosh. And they've created this perpetual loop where like they they, they make us feel that the phone we bought two years ago, or mine's really falling apart. The phone we bought two years ago is no longer good enough and we need the new. We need the exciting, we need the improved. It's a hype cycle. That's all it is. It's a hype cycle that keeps us perpetually hungry to know the next thing rather than being satisfied with the current thing. The reason why I say that is I wonder if sometimes we as a Western church can fall into that trap. Now, I've got nothing wrong with Apple necessarily. I have an iPad, a MacBook. But when we fall into that trap, particularly in the evangelical or Pentecostal world, we approach these moments on on, on Vision Sundays, mainly the evangelical church, where the pastor will hop up the front and announce the new thing that the church is doing, which is more hyped, more exciting, more, more improved than whatever we were doing last year. What this seems to teach us is that we as Christians need to be on a perpetual cycle of hype and excitement to be bought into what God is doing or to be feeling like we are relevant. And I just feel challenged that, that maybe that's not necessarily the best thing we could be spending our time doing. Will new life be doing new things this year? God willing, I pray that God continues to inspire new ministries and new gifts and and new church plants. But there's a conviction in my heart that for the last 2000 years, the same vision and mission of God has remained unchanged. And when the church of God has married it and held tight to it, it has seen the world be transformed for His glory and its good. So Vision Sunday, I do not believe is a moment for us to hear about where we're planting a church next. Some of you are like, oh, I thought we were going to China this year. I'm so relieved that, you know, I'm not getting told to go to San Francisco. I'm not saying we're not going to plant a church. But maybe the purpose of today is not to talk about what's new, but what is staying the same that God is calling us to be inspired, passionate and invigorated for. See, when he stood on that hilltop, 
2,000 years ago when we read the words of Matthew chapter 28 and he says, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. A year later, he didn't return and go, I've got an even better idea than what we had last year. Let's go again. It was the plan. Make disciples and go into the world, teach them to obey what I've commanded you and, and, and baptise them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And when the church has done the things of Jesus for the last 2,000 years, the world has shifted and changed. Friends, what we don't need is a new vision. When we talk about our vision or mission as a church, that we would see renewal, that we would see more people more like Jesus. We're just capsulating Matthew chapter 28 in new words, but it's the same heart. We are called today to embody not just the mission of new life, but the mission of God. What is that mission? We believe that God's called us to be disciples who make disciples. One of my heroes, a man named Dallas Willard, says it like this. He says, the, greater is, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christian will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live in the life of the Kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. One of the greatest needs of the world today isn't new ideas. It's a people who return to the most revolutionary idea that we're called to become like the one who is the saviour of the world. Friends, what does your discipleship look like this year? Who are you discipling this year? Here at New Life, we, we, we take this idea of discipleship seriously that when we believe if we're going to become more like Jesus, because we believe your workplace, your family, your world, your community, what it doesn't need more of is more of the same thing. It needs more of the Kingdom of Heaven. When we take that seriously, then our discipleship will look like an ever-increasing strengthening of four key priorities. That when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that His life emulated these four things, that those who followed Him grew in four things. To become more like Jesus here at New Life, we believe means that we will grow in our passion to gather the lost, to glue in community, to grow as disciples and to go on mission. So here's my heart and hope that over the next two weeks, we don't hear the new thing, we hear the main thing. We hear the same thing that Jesus and His church have been on about since He came and resurrected and ascended into heaven, that His Holy Spirit empowers us to do, that we would see more disciples making more disciples for His glory and the good of the world. So today, we're just going to talk about what does it mean for us to gather the lost and glue in community. Next week, we'll talk about growing His disciples and going on mission. When you look at the life of Jesus, what becomes clear, particularly in the passage we read in John chapter 1, is that Jesus, wherever He went, gathered people to follow Him in a new way, a new kingdom and a new era. But not only did He just gather people, but those people who called Him Messiah, who called Him Rabbi, who called Him Lord, they gathered people as well. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a basic principle that I believe found people find people. Found people, find people. Does anyone remember the game hide and seek? Great, me and John. That's awesome. Like either you had a boring childhood or we're not really with me today. Does anyone remember the game hide and seek? Ah, there we are. I knew we were somewhere out there. 
There's this, there's this moment when I play hide and seek with my boys, um, Archer and Benna, and I'll be hiding and Archer will be finding us and me and my two and a half year old will go hide. Benna will hide somewhere and I'll go hide somewhere. Now, Benna doesn't really kind of understand the mechanics of hide and seek. Like, you know, Archer will go, I'm coming to find you. And he'll be like, I'm here. Like, it's just how Benna is. But then Benna does something interesting where Archer finds him and then Archer goes, where's dad? And Benna betrays me every time. He goes, I know exactly where dad is, except like in his speak, he's like, I know dad, come. And it's like, he follows me. He's like, look, dad. I'm like, what are you doing, Benna? But then I remember when I was young, I used to do the same. Whenever you got found, the only way you coped with that perpetual disappointment was like, I know where all the hidden people are. Follow me, I'm gonna spoil the game from everyone, right? And without being that like sense of perpetual disappointment reaction, it's similar in the Kingdom of God that people who are found by Jesus, that people who truly encounter the living Saviour, Jesus Christ, one of their first reactions we see is, I know who else needs to know about this. I know who else is lost. And I've got to go and make sure that they know that there is a way to be found. That's what we see in this story. In John chapter one, what we see is like three ways in which Jesus gathers people unto Himself. The first way in verse 35 is as Jesus is walking by, we see public declaration that John the Baptist calls, behold, the Lamb of God. He publicly declares Jesus' identity. And in that moment, it would have been very insecure for some people, but John knew who he was. All John's disciples go, oh, that's Jesus. Bye, John. And they walk off and they start following Jesus because they respond to a revelation they've had of the declaration that John said. And sometimes that's how people respond, isn't it? They come to church and they hear the Word declared. They watch a testimony or a program and they encounter the living Saviour, Jesus Christ, and they respond to Him in a moment. There's another way we see here of personal revelation where Jesus is walking along and He sees Philip and He says, come follow me. And there's a personal revelation that takes place. We, we see this evident through history. There's documented examples of people from other faiths in the Middle East or Asia or around the world who they don't have someone tell them about Jesus. Jesus appears to them in a vision or a dream saying, come follow me and their life is redirected. This is what happens to Philip. He has a personal revelation of Jesus and chooses to follow Jesus in a moment. But the most common way that Jesus carries, gathers people unto Himself is through personal invitation. What we see in the story of Andrew and Philip is what does it say? It says, the first thing Andrew did after choosing to follow Jesus, he went and he found Peter. First thing he did. He goes and says, Simon, who became Peter, you've got to come and meet the one that we've been waiting for, Jesus. And Philip does it as well, doesn't he? Philip, when Jesus says to him, come follow me, he goes, oh, I know where that bum Nathaniel is. I've got to go tell him about this so his life can be transformed. He goes and finds Nathaniel under a tree. And what does he say? He says, the one that the law, the prophets and Moses wrote about is here. I've met him, Jesus Christ from Nazareth. But Nathaniel comes back with a response, doesn't he? He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I think sometimes we hear people say that in our world about Jesus, but they don't talk about Jesus. They talk about Christianity, don't they? I watched that Netflix documentary. Can anything good come out of Christianity? Can anything good come out of church? Can anything good come out of institutionalised, organised religion? Is it just me or is this some of the things we hear touted in our world at the moment? 
And what's Philip's answer? Does he defend Jesus? Does he go, no, no, let me walk you through the Scriptures, Nathaniel, and point to you all the ways that this is meant to be. Does he have an apologetic, robust response? No, what does he say? Come and see. Can anything good? Come and see the one that is good. Can anything good come? Come and see. Friends, one of the things I believe the world is needing more than ever is not a robust defence of Jesus and God, but an invitation to come and see. The principle of salvation is not that someone's salvation or response to Jesus is carried by the weight of His disciples. It is not my responsibility to save the world. That's on Jesus. Only Jesus saves, only Jesus redeems, only Jesus can transform. But He invites me to set up encounters between Him and people I know in my world by saying to them, come and see, come and see. Jesus, I know where there are lost people. I'm gonna go find them. Come and see. And when we read the Gospels, friends, it is hard for us to read the Gospel and not recognise that actually a key characteristic of Christ is that He's passionate about gathering the lost. Mark chapter 2, verse 47, when they're criticising Him, He says, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came for the lost. And when I talk about gather the lost, some people have said to me, Mark, it's pretty offensive when you start talking about lost. Like people who don't know Jesus are gonna be like, oh, you're calling me lost pastor, how dare you? Friends, if if you don't know this, you gotta recognise one of the first characteristics of every Christian is the recognition that they're lost. We sing a great song, it goes like this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. The one characteristic of entry into the Kingdom of God is not perfection, but brokenness. We were all lost. And so now we're all passionate about finding people with Jesus that need to know His way, His truth, His, His testimony and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just wanna challenge us today. What does it look like for us to take this seriously as a church? To recognise that we are all should or we have to find people in our world that we can make an invitation to, to come and see and encounter Jesus. Come and see, I don't think means just an invitation to Sunday services. Although it's awesome that you do bring people who don't know Jesus along. What a blessing it is to host them in our community, either online or in the room. Because friends, we are all carriers of the presence of God, which means come and see can also be come and walk with me. Come and have a coffee with me. Come and see my be, come and have a meal with me and my family that you might encounter the living Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit through a people who believe He is present with us. Come and see my be, come and see, hey, I'll go to Alpha with you and let's, let's wrestle through stuff together. Come and see is not just an invitation to a program, it's an invitation to a journey with the people who know Jesus and are praying and hoping that everyone we meet encounters Him through our lives as well. Who are you? in your story, praying and passionate about that they might come and see Jesus. I don't believe this is an optional extra. Evangelism is not just the role of some Christians, but all disciples. 
I met with a guy this week, a business leader, who told me that one of the things he does in his business is that uh, he meets with people I would never get to meet with because they're business leaders and that they operate at a level I don't operate with. And he says, Michael, when I sit with them, um, we, we kind of talk the same language and they say to me, hey, why do you have so much hope? And he just said to me, I say, come and see. But it's interesting, he goes, Michael, no offence, but I invited them to another church. It just fit better for them. And I said, get out, never come back again. No, I'm just kidding. No, and I said, it's amazing. And he's telling me the story about how he's connecting his friends with other churches or other ministries because it just fits them better. And I'm like, is that not the win? Come and see. He's inviting them into his world. He's talking to them about his business and, and how he orders things. And they're like, I wanna know the one you seem to have hope in. And his invitation to come and see is now transforming business leaders and sport leaders. I've been challenged this week about someone in my world that doesn't know Jesus. And I'm nervous because I really like the guy. He's a really cool uh, man. He just helps me out with some things. And, and there's these moments where I sense God prompt me, be like, Michael, just take him out for lunch. And I'm like, oh, but God, what about inviting him to church? And maybe friends, the first step isn't a service. Maybe it's a relationship. Come and see Jesus through how you are loved, through how you are welcomed, through how you find home. And so here's the thing, the call remains the same. Go into all the world, not just the super Christians, but everyone who is a follower of Jesus and make disciples. Who is your Nathaniel this year? Who is God inviting you to join Him in the journey of praying for, loving and inviting to come and see? So on your way in, you'll receive the card and we're gonna pause for a moment now. And the question of this card has four sections on it, gather, glue, grow and go. And our vision this year is not that we would just do new things, but that we would all become more like Jesus. And we wanna actually create a space to go, hey, how is God, how is the Holy Spirit challenging you and your discipleship to become more like Him in your heart for the lost? In your heart for the lost. And I want to pray that maybe you and the Holy Spirit might make a commitment together this year and write it down on that piece of paper just between you and Him. Hey God, this is what it looks like for me to have a come and see invitation in my life. It might be someone you're praying for. It might be a commitment to have lunch or dinner with someone once a month. It might be an invitation to Alpha. It might be an invitation to New Life. But as we turn the temperature up on our discipleship, we're doing this that we might become more like Jesus so our world will be blessed as we glorify God. Would you prepare yourself with pen in hand and that card? Let me just pray for us as we ask God, hey, what does it look like for us to do that this year? Lord Jesus, as the band comes and just sings over us, Holy Spirit, we just give You space. Lord, You, you care for those who don't know You. You love them just as much as You love us. We're not better than them. There's no sense of hierarchy here. They, they are your creation, your images of God. And we, we pray, would you break our heart for those who don't know you as your heart breaks for them? Would you stir in us a passion for the lost that we would gather as you gathered us and join you on your mission for your glory and the good of our world, we pray. So friends, just in this moment, what I want you to do is just you can sit and wait on God, but ask the Holy Spirit, God, how are you challenging me to grow in my discipleship this year to gather the lost? And as we do that, the band's just gonna sing over us just for a moment. Let's wait on God together. It's your breath in our lungs So we pour out our praise Pour out our praise It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour on our praise to 
Jesus, lead us to share your heart. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. That we would grow in our discipleship this year. Your name. Amen. I want you to picture with me as we move into our next vision for discipleship here as a church. What it would look like for someone sitting next to you, don't look at them, to invite, or you can if you want to, to invite someone either online or in the room to our community next week. Imagine someone went to work this week and said, hey, come and see a community that believes in Jesus. I know you've been hurt by the church. I know you have theories about the church and all this kind of stuff. Hey, come and join us online next week. Come and see. Here's my question. What would that person experience? Someone who'd never walked into a church community before or maybe been hurt by a church community before, what would they experience when they began to engage in community with us? as they jumped on our online services or they walked through the courtyard, what would be their experience of a community that claims to be passionate about Jesus? Timothy Keller, we don't really talk about Timothy Keller much here at New Life. It just occasionally we reference him. Um, funnier in my head, that's okay, we'll keep moving. He says this, Community is more than just the result of the preaching of the Gospel. It is itself a declaration and expression of the Gospel. Let me read that last thing again. It is in itself a declaration and expression of the Gospel. What's Keller reasoning here? He's saying this quite simply. He's saying that actually one of the ways that people encounter the good news of Jesus Christ should be how the followers of Jesus Christ do community. That before a song is sung, before a sermon is preached, even before someone's walked in here to a service, maybe they've encountered small group or play group or crossroads or one of the other places that our church gathers in community. If they encounter one of these communities, it should be so revolutionary to them that they are like, there is something different here. Is that what they would experience in the way you participate in community? That's the claim Keller's going to make. Because you see, one of the interesting things about the Gospel of God is that Jesus doesn't come to save us just from our sins, but into His Kingdom. And it is a revolutionary idea that was captured kind of last week when Jason was preaching a phenomenal message. And he's talking about 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I don't even remember it. But he says this, You are a chosen people, not person. People. A royal priesthood 
a holy nation. These are collective terms, God's special possession that you may declare the purpose of the One who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Now hear this, once you were not a people, now you are a people. The Gospel does something beautiful to lives that respond to it and surrender it. It takes us from individuality where we define ourselves mainly on our our background, our ethnicity, our socioeconomic status and says, actually, the greatest thing that defines you now is Jesus and it unifies greater than anything that could disunify. This is so controversial in a world where the right and left politically refuse to see eye to eye. In the Kingdom of God, it says this, that over here, you were a liberal voter. Over here, you were a Labour voter. I've already lost half of you because you're like, there are Labour voters here. There are Liberal voters here, right? But this is the Kingdom of God. And then you were you were born in China or you come from Korea or you've got ethnicity from England, or maybe you have a socioeconomic background that's difficult or flourishing. And it takes all those stories and says, Jesus unifies you together now to be a new people that you're no longer divided by your political preference, you're united by your King. So when people rock up, they should be completely dumbfounded by the fact that we like each other. Like, did you know that I saw, I don't know if you saw their Facebook post, but they reposted something from the Greens. And you're like, yeah, and they follow Jesus. I love them. Some of you are like, I see nothing wrong with anything you just said. Some of you are like, I see, and that's the point. That here in God's Kingdom, something unifies us greater than what could disunify us. We were not a people, now we are a people. Do we live like we are a new people? We're not just saved from our sins, we're saved into family. We now are brothers and sisters in Christ because it's not your Father, my Father, but our Father who art in heaven. And it changes things. It changes the way we relate. It changes how we act. If you look through the whole New Testament, when Jesus meets people, they they, they either get propelled into their community to bring their community with them, or they get to join a new community where this zealot terrorist and a tax collector and a fisherman all follow Jesus together. Without Jesus, they probably would have killed each other. Some of you are like, that's how I feel sometimes on Sundays. And I'm like, yeah, how great is the unifying power of Jesus Christ? Because one of the greatest things in our world today is loneliness. Elon Musk, when he was asked about how he felt about his riches in light of his dissolved marriage a couple of years ago, says this, being in a big empty house and no footsteps echoing through the halls, no one ever there. How do you make yourself happy in a situation like that? He adds, when I was a child, there was one thing I said, I never want to be alone. And then in the interview, he whispers to himself again, I never want to be alone. The good news to Elon Musk is you don't have to be because there is something that you can have that money can't buy you. It's a belonging in a kingdom of God because it's already been paid for. Here at New Life, there should be no lonely people allowed. Not because we kick them out, but because we choose to solve the problem. That when someone's lonely, we say, you belong here with us. And I've got to be frank, I don't know if we do it that great all the time. I don't know if we're overly warm all the time. I wonder if we could increase our love both in how we engage in our online community and in our in-person community. Because sometimes we're like, oh, belonging and hospitality. Well, that's the newcomers process and the staff are in. This isn't the responsibility of the church. It's the responsibility of the church that we take responsibility of the new people we have become and the inclusion and belonging we welcome people into. 
What I love about Jesus is that He invites people to follow Him. And even before they've correctly worked out His identity, He invites them to journey with Him in community as they discover who He is. In Hebrews chapter 10, some people think Hebrews was written by Paul, but the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 19, he kind of explains what happens in the Gospel. He unpacks the beauty of the Gospel. The blood of Jesus has purified you. You were forgiven, you were lost, now you're found. And then he starts making conclusions that if you've been saved, there's now a new way to live. And in verse 23, he says this, "'Let us hold therefore unswervingly "'to the hope we profess for He who promised is faithful.'" First thing he writes is he says this, he says, hold on to hope. When you have been saved in Christ Jesus, you know that no matter our suffering, wars or rumours of wars, is that you have a hope that one day Jesus will make all things new. Hold on to hope. Then he goes on, he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. He doesn't say individual. He doesn't say, hey, we may consider on your own how you might do more good stuff on your own. He says, no, 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 when, you're, when you become a Christian, you enter in a community and some theologians retranslate this text and it says, and what that community does is it incites a riot of love and good deeds amongst you. That when we gather together, it's like, man, you've got to do some good work this week. Look at how gifted you are. Hey, who could you love this week? We inspire one another to live out the Gospel well when we gather. And so Paul's third encouragement is, is so do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day, the day of the Lord is like this thing we hear a lot about in, the, in, in, in like right-wing Christian media. It's like, oh, the end times are here, which, I, you know, questionable. I, I don't think that that's too helpful to get into that theology. This, but what he's saying is that if you start seeing bad stuff happening in the world and you're thinking, man, God's got to come back and renew this soon or else. He's saying, if that's what's happening, then you need to lock yourself into community. Do not give up meeting together. But I don't know if that's what we do. I think community for the Christian has become optional. Here's the big idea that Paul, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews trying to communicate. You are not saved for yourselves. You are saved into community for others. How often has the way we engage in community been subjected to personal preference, comfort and convenience? If it doesn't fit our weekend schedule, our calendar and our priorities, then it becomes optional. And the writer of Hebrews is clear, don't do this. Don't do this. That's how the world does community. We click attending Facebook events until something else comes up that's a better option. But that's not the way we do community. When we fail to prioritise not just our belonging and how we glue in community, we miss the beautiful truth of the Gospel. You're saved out of darkness into a family of light to welcome other people in every single week in more ways than just Sunday services. So why don't we do this? I think we don't do this because the world, I don't think the world comes against our faith with oppression and persecution in the West. I think it comes against our faith with distraction. Other priorities. We live in a post-Christian society, which means no one's thinking about church attendance when they put sports activities on or social events. No one's worried about your belonging in a small group when they're thinking through, you know, P&F calendars in your local school or social outings with your work colleagues. The priority of forming ourselves in community is no longer a mainline idea in the Christian West. And so if we don't fight for Christian community, then we will lose it. And the writer says, don't do this. Why? 
because I think it's important. And sometimes our faith has become more about our needs rather than about how we participate with others. We rock up to church because it fits our agenda and our schedule. Or we, we do or don't come because of how we're feeling. And when I attend a Christian gathering, whether it's a small group, whether it's a, a dinner around the table, whether it's a, a girlfriend or a guy friend is saying, hey, can we just pray together? And it's all based on what I want and what I need. I've missed the recognition that I've died to myself and I now live for others. People who recognise when we gather together on Sunday mornings, it's not about you, but about others and joining them in worshiping Christ, live a dramatically different life. When people realise when you don't rock up to church, there's someone here who's missing your encouragement, your prayers, your love, your contribution, your presence in community that they have now been called into with you. Regular church attendance is now like one in every four weeks in the West. That's not regular. If I said to my wife, I'm going to talk to you once in every four weeks, it would not be a great marriage. It's inconsistent. And so I think there's a call on us to take seriously, what does it mean to belong? Sometimes we don't like to glue in community because the community around us doesn't fit our dream. We're like, oh, there's no one that I really like or it's not really how I would have done it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. And friends, over the last 30 years of new life, it has not been that people like Agnes Miller, Val Harvey, Grant Dempsey have always been surrounded by people that they got along with really well. When I meet these people, it's, the marker is this, they've chosen to love those God brings along their path. How have they loved them? By rocking up, by serving them, by showing a John 13, 35 kind of love. How will people know you are my disciples? By your love for one another by how you take off your outer garments and wash each other's feet and serve one another. I'm humbled when I come to church on a Sunday morning and Fiona Grundy and Petra Warwick are there at the kids' sign-in desk, not because it's the best thing they could possibly do with their life, but because they're there to make the experience of belonging in community easier for those of us who had half an hour sleep last night. Amen for some parents in the room. Genuinely my story, time for another, we can talk about it later. When, when I rock up yesterday to our working bee, and I'm hanging out with young adults, uh, young professionals, retirees who are making our property beautiful. Why? So that when someone drives on here, they're not thinking, oh, it looks a bit overgrown, but they're going, wow, someone prepared this. When I look at people, I don't know if you know, but the Yates family, they, I didn't tell them I was gonna say this, who serve in our church, every single member of the sixth family, but the oldest is I think in year 12, they all serve in a different ministry. Why? Why? Because the Yates family, nothing else on. No, because they're going, this is a priority for us. And there are so many people who give of their time and their talents. Why? Not because there's nothing better, but because they believe in the family that God has called them to be a part of. Friends, what does it look like for you to glue in community? So I just want to finish today by giving you some really quick suggestions, really quick ideas of what it looks like to glue in community well in response to Jesus Christ. What would it look like if we were to say, hey, when we're ever gathered together, no one stands alone. No one stands alone. What if you're new here and your, your commitment is, I'm going to make myself known rather than waiting for someone to know me? That's a sign of Christian maturity. I really believe it. I'm going to make myself known. I'm going to show up. Not because I feel like it, but because I believe in the theology of God's ecclesia of regularly gathering in small group and other things. I'm going to join a team. 
Tony Martin today goes away for 14 months and he served faithfully on our car park every single month for the last so many years. And, he, and there's this sense where it's like, oh my gosh, we want to miss Tony's part in our family because he makes parking in our car park more orderly. How great are our car parkers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Belong in a small group, start a small group, pray for someone. Friends, what if our courtyard was filled with less coffee and more prayer? Like, it's like you looked out in the courtyard, people weren't coming down the front of the altar and waiting for a pastor to pray for them. But when we heard someone say, hey, my week's been difficult, our first reaction is like, hey, can we pray? Please pray for you, you're not alone right now. We encourage someone, we follow up someone this week, we open our table in our home. Maybe you can't serve on a team. Maybe you can't come regularly because of your life or whatever's going on. But you go, you know, once a month, my family and I, or just me on my own, I'm gonna invite someone in my house and say, hey, you belong in my family, you belong with me. Or maybe just maybe we'll die to ourselves and truly live. Friends, I'm gonna leave that on the screen as I read this quote again. Community is more than just the result of preaching of the Gospel. It is itself a declaration and expression of the Gospel. I believe New Life is called to be a John 13, 35 church where we love one another and so we point to Jesus. Where we serve one another and so we point to Jesus. That's not just a Sunday thing. It's an every day of the week thing, friends. How are you being called to glue into community this year that we might become more like Jesus? I'm gonna grab your pen, hold your card. Let me pray for us as we just respond to how the Holy Spirit may be asking us to commit to our discipleship this year. Lord Jesus, I pray right now, would you, would you shape us and mould us? Lord, someone might just be writing down, God, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna invite someone out for a coffee this year from church and, and just get to know them. Lord, I, I pray whatever it is, whatever small thing we can do to just increase our intentionality, may we become more like You, Jesus, no one else. As the world grows darker, would your church shine brighter with the love of Jesus Christ? Holy Spirit, come speak to us now in Jesus' Name. Let's take a moment to write down anything that God may be saying or challenging you with. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you and you'd like prayer or maybe you'd like to join us in the mission of seeing more people more like Jesus, you can contact us through our website, church.nu, or you can reach out through our Instagram or Facebook pages. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.